Hello and welcome to the Living Life Differently podcast. We are the Mahojos. I'm Amy. And I'm Ali. And we live in a static caravan on a farm in South Wales with our son Ollie and our dog Dizzy. We're currently on a year off together, waiting patiently to get going on a European campervan adventure. In the meantime, we decided to set up this podcast to share stories of women who are living life differently, women who are doing things different to the norm. So if you're feeling a little stuck in life or need confidence to make some big changes, then keep listening as we have some brilliant guests. In this episode, we catch up again with my sister Ellie about her big move to Portugal. Ellie was our first guest on the podcast talking about her move to France. Now that she has a new life in Portugal, she reflects on how and why she chose to live there, some of the pros and cons, and the power of becoming debt-free. Enjoy the episode. So, hello and welcome again to our podcast. Ellie, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, good to be back. (laughs) Um, So we're attempting to do this podcast for the first time ever outside, so hopefully that goes well. It's about 10 degrees here in sunny Wales, uh, in the middle of February, we've got the baby and the dog, so we'll just see how this goes. It might not work out, but hey, we'll try anything once. Um, so yeah, thanks once again for joining us. Obviously, this is your second podcast with us. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to just tell us a bit about the story that you shared with us from your last podcast, a bit of an overview of what that was about? Yeah, sure. So um, back in 2008, 2009 whenever the housing crash was the financial crisis I uh, lost my job which resulted in me losing my house and um, having to think about making a making a big change in my life and I ended up um, deciding that moving to France would be a good idea and so I bought a crappy old van for 400 quid stuffed all my possessions in it and went off to live in France um where I lived for the next 10 years. Brilliant and the first episode obviously you did the first episode on our podcast for us and we're really grateful for that and it's been received really well by um, people that have listened to it already and two questions have come from that from some listeners so the first question that people were keen to know was what happened to the house in Nottingham Um, you know that you mentioned that you had tenants there initially but what happened next then with the house? Yeah, so I was in France. So it was when I was still in Leger. So it was the first two years uh, that I was in France. I was still uh, renting the house out for at least the first year. I can't remember exactly how long I had it for. Um, But yeah, so the the cost of the of running the house. Um, the mortgage and everything the tenants were were barely covering the cost of the mortgage so it wasn't it wasn't ideal I had a property manager uh, who was taking a percentage of of that as well Um, the boiler broke there was a problem with the electrics and so I ended up sort of shoveling more money back into the house than than I really wanted to to pay and if anyone listened to the first episode they yeah I was talking about you know living on 600 euros a month um which obviously is not a lot of money and I was sending back a considerable chunk of that you know to fix stuff which I didn't really anticipate and hadn't really sort of planned for so after another sort of six months or so down the line I think it was I just decided that it just wasn't worth it it wasn't um paying for itself I wasn't earning any money from it and also looking at the longer term recovery of the value of the house after the, the, the financial crisis, the recovery rate to get it back to the value that I paid for it was something like 10 or 12 plus years. So I would have been in debt and, and you know, sort of struggling to kind of keep the house anyway going forwards. Um, and even then, after sort of 10 or 12 years, the house may have got back to the, to the price that I paid for it. So I just basically decided to cut my losses, which, you know, it took me a long time to actually make that decision. Um, But when I'd made the decision, I thought, yeah, this is definitely the right thing to do. So I got in contact with um, Northern Rock. Um, I got the property manager to um, finish off the tenants and not finish them off like that. (laughs) (laughs) Bump them off. Um, Yeah, so I I got um, the tenants we were told that I was selling the house um, and it ended up actually going to auction, which was really, really bad. Um, so, yeah, I actually ended up 
um, it it got sold off at auction for about half of what I paid for it, and I ended up uh, owing Northern Rock a lot of money, which was pretty shit. So yeah, I remember you saying in the last interview that you kind of got to the point where you just felt like your possessions and and the house almost was just you know I, I don't know if you used the term it was just bricks and mortar but it was something like that it was that it was as if you'd got to the mm. point where the attachment had gone and you were kind of in a mindset where you you could leave the house and you know leave your possessions and and get on with everything so when when the when the house went to auction did it have an impact on you mentally or was it still kind of part of the process for, for you kind of starting a new life abroad? Um, I think, well, before it went to auction, I'd actually sent my keys back to my friend Emma, who was still living in Nottingham at the time. She's actually now living in Bangkok. Maybe you should interview her for another <laughs> another episode. Um, but yeah, so I sent her my keys and I got a whole load of friends um got access to the house one of them took the welsh slate fireplace i was just like take whatever you want take anything that's left and put some money in my bank account so my friend gary went in took some stuff my friend claire took the garden furniture um emma had a few bits and bobs i think karen had a few bits and bobs and so various people various friends of mine would just sort of bung me a few quid and and took some of the stuff and at that point um i'd already sort of closed the door on it mentally i suppose in the sense that you know, once I'd left there, I'd only left things I didn't really care too much about. You know, there was a nice bed for the for the tenants, obviously, to sleep in or a couple of beds, whatever. Nice furniture and stuff. I think you guys had the or Amy's mum had the dining table and chairs, which I was really, really, really fond of. But at least you guys got that. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I'd already kind of made that mental. Like, so really, when it came to the point where they'd said that they were going to auction it off, um I I just didn't really I I was so detached from it at that point I didn't really care too much I cared about how much money it went for and I'd wish that they hadn't have auctioned it but I'd already kind of made that that break in my head and it was just another thing it wasn't anything that made me feel any particularly particularly strong emotional attachment or anything it was just it just needed to get finished I just needed to close the door on that chapter and and just move forward really so sure um, the other question that came up was, how did Treacle the cat um, get on? Obviously, you know, this little black cat has been with you for years and years. And then <laughs> off he goes in your little orange builder's van off to France um, and, and then onward onto different places in France and further afield. How did he get on with them um, adapting? Yeah, he did really well, actually. Um, on the drive down to Leger from from the UK, it took us about two days to get down there. I think he was six at the time, five or six years old. So I'd, I'd had him since he was a uh, kitten, since eight, eight weeks old. Um, and yeah, so we've moved flats and apartments a lot over the years. And so yeah, moving moving down to France, he was on the front seat with me in that that um cage which are the, the the rabbit cage which i think you shared a photo of in the last uh, video um and overnight at a campsite which was hilarious because i decided to go and camp near a whole big row of trees and didn't really think about the birds in the morning when they woke up and he went absolutely crazy um but yeah no he he did really well actually we we got to leger he was a little bit shell-shocked i think from for the first couple of days but he just got over it really quickly and then it turned out that he had a real passion for catching mice and uh, <laughs> and was really enjoying the French countryside so yeah he did really really well um we he actually made it to Portugal with me as well um so yeah that was that was really nice he sort of his, his last few days in retirement in Portugal um and he made it to the grand old age of 16 so yeah he did really really well Oh, um, but sadly he, he died last year so yeah but we lived in four countries together um and god knows how many apartments and houses and you know different places over the years so yeah he did really well and I think he coached really well with all the traveling so yeah oh, what a great fun. life <laughs> giving him a great life so yeah um, little bit you you made this enormous move from Nottingham to France. You almost stuck a pin in a map and ended up in the little town of Leger before you then moved on to Chamonix. And then you made this other big brave leap and moved to another country, 
um, Portugal, obviously, which is where you are now. So tell us a bit about what was happening for you during your final kind of months in France. What, what was the main catalyst for thinking, you know what, I need another massive change. I'm going to go to Portugal. <laughs> Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, the last, the, I think it was probably the last two years that I was in France. I was just really, really struggling financially. Um, after the van broke down, eventually, I, I just didn't have a car for five years. I didn't have any kind of transport apart from my bike, my mountain bike. <laughs> um, so I was really, really struggling financially. Um, I just kind of felt like... And it sounds crazy for such a beautiful part of the world and there's just so much on your doorstep. But I think it, it just kind of run its natural course for me. Um, and financially, you know, I was working a, a regular job. I was doing freelance work and I had my sewing business on the side as well. And I was doing three jobs and I was barely able to make ends meet. Um, and I'm, I'm not joking when I say, you know, sometimes I could just about make it through the month with food. The cat was always fed. Um, but there was, you know, quite often situations where, you know, I was not going hungry, but I was, you know, having to live so frugally, I was just existing. And that was just to me, like, no real, it, it wasn't living, it was existing, if that makes sense. So I guess it just, it, it came to a head and I was really, you know, miserable. Um, and I realized that something needed to change, but then what also dawned on me as well, which I found really interesting um, is that looking back over my life and where I've moved and when I've moved and these big sort of changes that have happened, they seem to happen in eight to 10 year segments. So even going back to where we were born in the Lake District, when we left the lakes, I think I was like seven or eight years old, maybe around that age. And then, you know, significant moves and changes in my life, like going to university. I was in Leicester for sort of six, seven, eight years. Then I moved to Nottingham. That was another eight or 10 years and then I moved to Leger and that was 10, 10 years in France. And I'm like, hang on a second, I can see a pattern that, you know, every every at least, you know, sort of six to 10 years or whatever it was, um, a big change is going to happen. And I'm going to move, you know, somewhere sort of quite, quite dramatically different. Um, and that just seems to have been a pattern that I, I realised was happening throughout my life. So it just kind of seemed like the appropriate time to get up and go. And I'd never been to Portugal before. Don't know anyone here don't speak the language I just thought where can I go that isn't snowy I'd had enough of um where can I go where I could mountain bike all year round it's a little bit warmer but yeah so I was just kind of like looking for somewhere to live um it took me about six months to find a place that I thought looked half decent there's a lot of crap on the market um decent prices and everything else and all this kind of dark cloud that I felt was hanging over my head in, in Chamonix in the last, you know, sort of 18 months or whatever, just lifted and my spirits had lifted. And by that point as well, I'd actually um, landed a remote job with quite a decent salary. Um, and so I could work anywhere in Europe for this particular company. As long as I had a, an internet connection, I could literally live anywhere. And I was like, right, well, <laughs> there's another reason just to get up and go and just go somewhere else. So, so yeah, so October 2019, took me another two days to move down here I don't know why it took two days to get to France <laughs> well I do know because the van was old and crap and full, of, full of loads of stuff um and then so this time around it also took two days and so I think I left Chamonix on the 6th of October and I got down to the house that I'm talking to you from now on the 8th of October 2019 so yeah also with treacle on the front seat in the car <laughs> but um it, it was uh, mentioned to me <laughs> He was here illegally. The rental agents had specified no pets, um, but I sort of chose to ignore that. And also because it wasn't on the contract, it wasn't legally binding. Um, so, yeah, so I snuck him in here and um, for a good, I don't know, week or more, the property managers down the road who have actually become good friends um, didn't actually know he was here. And then when they did discover him, they were like, oh, didn't the rental agent say it was no pets? And I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> he's 16. He's been with me since he was a baby. What am I going to do? I'm not going to leave him behind. <laughs> but they were really cool about it. They were like, well, we won't tell if you won't say anything either. So I was like, yeah, it's all good. And they're big, you know, animal people too. So, yeah, they totally understood why I'd done it. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So in terms of moving to Portugal, and obviously you said earlier you wanted to be somewhere warmer. Um, you know, you'd kind of got to the end of your love of, of Chamonix, the lifestyle, the, the expense and also the weather a little bit. So how how did you pick Portugal? Were there any other countries on the radar or? No, I guess I narrowed down on it quite quickly um, as I spoke to uh, a guy who was renting a chalet from a company um, that I used to work at in Germany. And he actually told me about this tax scheme uh, that Portugal offers for foreigners. And basically, you can come here if you're in the right job industry, like doctors, nurses, etc. And funnily enough, archaeologists as well, although I'm not a practicing archaeologist, even if I'm qualified, um, you can live here tax free for 10 years. And even if you're um, not in that category and you're in a sort of a subsequent category that they're quite keen to attract people from that sector, you um, and also for working freelance, too, you can live um uh, or exist on 20% tax capped for 10 years as well, which is also super, super uh, interesting. So once I'd sort of done a bit more digging around that, I'd found the house. It took me a good six months to to find the actual house that I wanted to to rent. Um, then, yeah, then I was that was good to go. And the beauty of, of Portugal in the sense of not only the tax scheme, but the cost of living here compared to where I was before is just so different. I've got I've got like a hundred square meter house for half the cost of what I was paying in Chamonix for a 40, 35 square meter flat. Fantastic. Yeah. And in, in terms of the, the job you're doing now, so then so so basically you, you're working remotely for a company. Um, is that freelance work? Mm. Yeah, I'm freelance, but I'm full time. It's it's kind of a model that um, the company um, uses for for most of their employees, apart from US uh, citizens. Whereas everybody else, like the rest of the company, is remote. So from Israel to here to uh, Brazil and goodness knows where else, there are just people in every corner, every country, it seems. Um, and we're all uh, freelance and remote and okay. uh, and paid full time. So yeah. So was that a, a big decision as well to move from um, kind of more stable employment that you're in in Chamonix, obviously, before you moved to Portugal? Um, you know, did you have concerns about the security of moving into freelance work full time? No. And I, and I don't know if that was a bit naive or a bit like me, you know, sticking my head in the sand and going, well, we'll just see what happens and it will be what will be will be. I mean, there's a two week notice period anyway in my contract. So you know four week notice period to a two week notice period but effectively I'm still employed full time and the salary was much better than you know what I could ever hope to have, have achieved in, in Chamonix so yeah so it was a bit of a no-brainer really so so yeah so I'm all of a sudden I'm earning you know a half decent salary again I bought myself a, a crappy old car actually from a guy that I used to work with um, a little family car and yeah, I was kind of like mobile again and I could see like, I guess, a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel financially. But then since I've been here, I've what, been here for 18 months now, was it? Month we in now? Yeah, about 18 months that I've been here and I am already officially debt free and saving money to put towards potentially either building a house or buying somewhere. So, so yeah, it's, it's been one of the best moves I think I've ever made. One of the biggest, best decisions I think I've ever made as well. That, that yeah. is an incredible change financially, isn't it, in terms of, you know, have, having that money now to put aside rather than, as you described in Chamonix, just existing. Do you feel like you're thriving now rather than existing? I wouldn't say thriving at the moment, but I think when, when the COVID situation calms down and disappears, <laughs> when we come out on the other side of that, I think, yeah, I probably will be because at the moment it's like, okay, I, I can't spend money on anything apart from, you know, the odd little bit of petrol, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not really doing anything. So I am, I'm sort of existing again at the moment, as, as I'm sure many people are just trying to get through the pandemic. Um, but when we come out of the other side of that, then yeah, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to start paying taxes at some point as well. So um, the tax system here is like France used to be in, in a year in arrears and very antiquated um so I will start paying tax at some point July August this year so financially I won't be as 
um, flush as I am now, but I've got savings in the bank to pay for the taxes and then extra savings on top of that, which I just haven't been able to do. I haven't been able, I just haven't had the spare cash to save since I don't know when, <laughs> you know, during the, the, well, before the housing crash in the UK that and losing my house and everything, I just, I've maxed out credit cards. I was, you know, loans and credit and finance for everything and consolidated all of that into the mortgage and yeah, it was just an absolute mess. Whereas now I just have my Portuguese bank account. Um, I paid off um, my French account. I paid off a loan that I had in my French account for a trip to Peru that I went mountain biking in Peru for my 40th birthday. And I was paying that off for a, for a period of time. So that's all been paid off now as well. So that's all gone. Um, and all I have now is my French bank account and a, about 200 quid on a credit card. And the, the limit on that is only 500 quid. So 500 euros so yeah so I'm in a, a a much more stable position financially but also mentally it is just such a relief to have come out of you know the housing crash and struggling and downsizing and you know going through that whole sort of rigmarole of, of losing everything and sort of having to try and rebuild it again I mean I've had some fun along the way don't get me wrong but I definitely feel like now I'm I'm sort of getting more back on track and I'm actually I'm actually be able to um, make decisions and, and sort of drive things forward for myself as opposed to it you know me being sort of felt feeling like I'm trapped in a situation that I can't get out of or whatever I definitely feel like now I'm back in control and you know I'm the one that's gonna even potentially look at building a house it's like what <laughs> this could <laughs> never have happened if I was in France absolutely 100% not you know so yeah it's all good and it's all it's all me that's driven it it's like nobody else's input nobody else's money you know there's no boyfriend you know subsidizing me or anything it's just me doing it all by myself and I'm really fucking proud of it <laughs> uh, you should be it's absolutely brilliant I'm I'm proud of you and which is why we wanted to speak to you on this podcast because oh, obviously the, the move to France was absolutely monumental um and could but you know we could totally understand why you did it for all for all those reasons the finances the pressure and the life you carved out for yourself was absolutely brilliant and I remember really distinctly actually coming to visit you um in France um with Amy and Dizzy and you hadn't been there that long but mm-hmm. you were I remember you speaking French like in my head it sounded like you were fluent and I was like oh my God. <laughs> Amazing, and you're like, oh no, you know, I there's still so much I don't know. Um, but on the topic of languages, then you've now up sticks and moved to a completely different country that you've never visited before. You almost stuck a pin in a map for, for where to find the house that you're in now and, and the area you're living in. So, what yeah. about the Portuguese language then? How's that going with learning and, and getting by? Slowly. So, the, the key difference, um, here is that obviously because can't go and hang out I can't go and like meet people and go and have a coffee and a chat and go for walks and I did get in touch with a Portuguese teacher and we were about to start and then the pandemic hit so we we cancelled and then at some point we sort of met up again and we did a few lessons I don't know six months down the line or whatever it was um but yeah it's it's a really hard language I mean it is it's a Latin language I think I want to say I should know the history of this a bit better than I do but there's a there's a crossover with France and Portugal historically, which means that there's a lot of um, French words which are used in Portuguese, um, like ons and dos is like eleven and twelve, but you might pronounce them slightly differently. Um, and that, so there's a lot of words that I know from French which exist in Portuguese but said differently. But then there's also the whole other <laughs> there's a whole other side to Portuguese. There's a lot of shushes and um, interesting sort of nasal sounds and things which I'm still trying to sort of master but apparently it can take a long time to get to grips with that um so French has helped a little bit which is kind of weird I didn't expect that but it but it does and randomly as well learning Portuguese also helps you kind of understand Spanish too so there's a much much closer um correlation I suppose between uh, Spanish and Portuguese as well not surprisingly because they're neighbors um so yeah, so it's it's been it's been tricky. <laughs> I fell into the trap of um, getting Duolingo on my phone, which only has uh, Brazilian Portuguese on it. And if anybody has ever tried to learn to speak Portuguese, 
you'll realise quite quickly that um, Brazilian Portuguese and uh, European Portuguese are distinctly different, albeit very similar, but yeah, quite different when you're actually in Portugal. You try saying phrases and people are looking at you like, one earth. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so there's a lot of differences um, between that. And then eventually, I think a few months ago, I found um, an online uh, course, which is kind of similar to the way that Duolingo does stuff, but it's actually um, created by a guy down in Lisbon and a guy from Canada, um, and that is proper European Portuguese. So it's called Practice Portuguese, if anyone's interested. Um, and they've got a mobile app as well. So I've just been kind of bumbling around on that at the weekends and uh, trying to practice a few things on there. And it's one of these things that you can actually say uh, phrases and it will rate you on whether or not you get your pronunciation right. How is your conversational Portuguese at the moment? Um, so pretty limited. Um, again, going back to the sort of the French examples of like going to the pharmacy or going to fill up the car with petrol or um the supermarket you know how to say have a nice weekend and you know sort of little um little phrases that you can get by and be polite and not sound like an absolute impatient or horrible person that's just like yes no I want that da, da, da. so I've kind of learned again those sort of little phrases that are kind of like day-to-day shopping phrases and actually when I did manage to meet up with the Portuguese teacher Raquel down in the village we actually did some practical lessons together so we'd actually go to the butchers together and have a conversation where I could actually practice and make mistakes and you know get to sort of learn on the on the on the job if you like (laughs) so much more practical sort of lessons which are really useful um but there's the the kind of underlying grammar and the structure of the language which is what I'm going to try and get to grips with a little bit more ahead of the game when I was in France I think I only sort of really started appreciating the grammar and why I was saying what I was saying um sort of came much later on whereas this time around I guess I'm trying to learn the the grammar and the sort of the the sentence structure um ahead of time because that is sort of similar to French in that sense that the way that you know a sentence is constructed is very similar so I guess, yeah, that, that's going to make things a little bit easier, although there are things like, you know, the, the, the usual sort of grammatical things where there's like an exception to the rule and there seems to be a lot of exceptions to rules and it's like, oh, God, I'm never going to learn this. Um, but, yeah, it's just practice, isn't it? I mean, it took me 10 years to feel comfortable, you know, talking French and it wasn't fluent or grammatically correct by any stretch. But, you know, I've only been here 18 months, so... I can't really give myself too much of a hard time if I can't say much more than like what I want at the shops and please thank you and take care. Goodbyes. <laughs> there's time. Yeah, um, there's uh, plenty. Yeah, plenty of time to learn, isn't there? Yeah. Um, totally. And it, I know that obviously we're still in the middle of the pandemic and, and you've only been in Portugal for 18 months. But how do you and and kind of what advice would you give to anyone in terms of like integrating yourself into society because you've literally landed in this little town slash village in central Portugal a bit like what you did in in France but I guess that was different wasn't it in France because in Leger you were living staff so you already had that kind of social element and people around you but with Mm -hmm. Portugal it's different isn't it you're in a a house on your own you're working freelance on your own so how do you integrate in society especially where you don't know any of the language what have you been doing? So I went down the same sort of path, if you like, as what I did in France, again, sort of tried and tested methods when I first got here. Obviously it's a bit different at the moment. But so when I first got here, I was looking out um, places to go mountain biking, um, groups that I might go walking with. Um, and then I just sort of reached out to the tourist office who then put me in touch with um, a few people, a few events, things like that. So. So, yeah, so I, I and actually two of my girlfriends in Chamonix, had put me in touch with a local mountain bike guide um, before I left as well and passed on some details because I didn't actually know, which was another stroke of luck, that over in Loza, which is about half an hour drive away, there's a um, downhill bike park and it's actually on the World Cup circuit as well, which was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so that's only half an hour's drive away. So gravitated towards like, right, who can I meet that does mountain biking, da, da, da. And so 
in the November, bearing in mind I turned up in October, in November I joined um, an avalanche race, which is like a mass start downhill bike race where everybody just sets off all at once and careers down the hill, fastest over the line finishes um, and wins. Um, and so I did that, and then I joined a Jeep Safari 4x4 um, thing. Um, I went on a walk with um, like a guided group walk, mushroom picking and, and sort of nature nerding, um, again, over in Lozar. Um, and then, yeah, I, just, I don't know. It's It's been difficult to kind of meet people around here because there doesn't seem to be anybody that's really into hiking or mountain biking that I can see around this sort of area there's a lot of guys that go out together mountain biking in this little group but they are like beasting up the hills you know 50 60 kilometers a day which I'm just not fit enough for at the moment um I was definitely <laughs> much more happy going downhill than pedaling up um so there are people around that I could potentially meet but again now you know because of the pandemic and everything it's like well yeah, even if there is a group that meets to go and do walking or whatever, obviously nothing's happening. So, yeah, so the few forays that I had had out in, you know, meeting up with people and doing stuff just kind of came really quickly to an end. I just kind of felt like I was getting started and then the pandemic hit. So it was like, oh, shit, now what do I do? So I've got a couple of neighbours next door, John and Phil. I've got a couple of neighbours down the road um who I've sort of been in contact with and, and they've been my kind of my saviors really um I live upon a hillside above the village as well so it's kind of like I'm, I'm quite far away from I wouldn't say civilization but you know the village is a good six or eight kilometers down the hill and so it's not like I can walk out of the house and I can go and stumble around in the woods and you know go go out for hikes up on the hilltops and stuff but in terms of like bumping into someone for a coffee it's not going to happen around here and then also obviously now in the village even I can't you know bump into someone for a coffee because all the places are shut so mm-hmm. so yeah it's been it's been quite restrictive. So you've talked about moving to Portugal in the sense that you wanted to move somewhere warmer and obviously Portugal's got this great tax incentive scheme for foreigners but how did you decide to live in the town that you've moved to? Um, it was all about the house. Um, I knew that I didn't ever, ever, ever want to live in an apartment again with anyone above me or below me or around me. Um, so it was really critical that I found somewhere that was like a, a freestanding um, detached house. And uh, yeah, I literally took months and months and months looking through various regions around the centre of Portugal. So I'd sort of narrowed down the search to the centre because I knew it was more affordable, but also <clears throat> there's actually quite a high fire risk in the central belt as well. So that was another factor. So there was a couple of places that I didn't want to um, look at because of because of the fire risk, like Castelo Branco is, is kind of notoriously bad for um, some wildfires and stuff. Having said that, this region does get um, hit as well, this, this particular part of of central Portugal rhyme as well is has has been known to have you know fires and stuff as well so that's kind of a risk so there was that factor it was the um not so much the location or the town that drove it it was all about the house and you know the fittings and fixtures um a lot of the houses here in Portugal aren't really built for uh winter conditions they're sort of more you know less insulation more about you know sort of um I suppose the outside spaces and things like that. So that you'll find like a lot of a lot of homes here don't really have a lot of insulation or they're they're just sort of geared up for summer really, but not necessarily for the very humid and, and cold, damp winters. Having said that, it wasn't half as cold as, as Chamonix. I think we got down to like minus one or zero was like the coldest it's been here, the two winters that I've I've now spent here. So totally um doable in that sense. And you know, the fixtures and fittings here seemed all right. They seemed quite modern. I quite liked the kitchen. And I'd looked through literally hundreds and hundreds of listings of properties and just settled on this one. And it looked like it was out in a little bit away from the village. Um, I couldn't really tell on Google Maps too much about the roads around here. But it turned out when I got here that actually the tarmac stops just at the just above the house. And then it turns into uh, forest roads and sort of little dirt tracks. So that was kind of cool because I thought well, I'm sort of on a road, but I didn't really appreciate that it was a forest road. And uh, yeah, I just kind of lucked out, really. 
the house was really nice. I didn't know the area. I didn't know there was this bike park half an hour down the road. Um, so yeah, it was all about the house. And then I, my whole plan again was just to explore when I got here. If I decide to stay in this area, great. If not, you know, I've got a good base in the centre of Portugal to go out and look for somewhere to buy or you know explore other areas. So yeah, it's kind of a good a good hub really where I am. Yeah. Brilliant. It's, it sounds like the decisions that you've made have kind of come up trumps, really. Yeah, totally. And I've been really lucky in terms of, you know, neighbours as well. And like there's loads of people around here that speak English or are English, <laughs> um, which I was quite surprised at as well, because I thought, you know, I'm going to go to the middle of nowhere, Portugal, and I'll just be totally engrossed in Portuguese conversation. <laughs> and it turns out the two guys living next door are British. Um, and then there's a German lady down the road who speaks really good uh, English too and then uh, Ida and Richie who look after the property but also good friends now uh, a German and Portuguese but also speak really good English so so yeah that's been really fortunate um, as well so yeah there's a, there's a few little things that have kind of come good um, but yeah mostly geared around I don't know I've, I've made some good decisions I think and uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of worked out quite well so. So what do you love most about being in Portugal so far? Um, I think the first thing that springs into my mind always at the moment, this might change over time, was just financial freedom. It's just been so long since I actually had any financial freedom. And that for me was just like, it's just been absolutely fantastic. And yeah, that's like a real game changer. Um, and just like the weather and the views, like it gets to around like, I don't know, it got to nearly 40 degrees in the summer. Um just gone um but like 30-ish is is quite nice um the views up here are lovely um it sort of reminds me a little bit of the lake district with like sort of lowish rolling hills um yeah I don't know yeah the, the the weather the locals very friendly very accommodating of foreigners okay any downsides to move into Portugal that you've experienced so far internet is probably one of them is it <laughs> yeah definitely and that's just again location driven because I'm out in the sticks um and I'm the further house away from the sort of junction box with the wi-fi as well so I, I have quite a few issues with wi-fi um uh one thing I never experienced anywhere else that I've lived before as well is um the power outages the, the power cuts as well so that sort of it happens when there's a storm and it's mostly because the power cables are, are trailed through the trees, through the forest. Like they don't te te technically follow the roads or anything like that. Um, so if there's a massive storm, then the power goes out um, and it's not been out for that long. And in, in a, you know, in a period of time, like it might've gone out overnight and I haven't even noticed either, but, um, but yeah, occasionally there's been power outages and I've been you know, at work and I've been on a call with a customer or something or talking to a colleague and the, the power's just gone off. Um, so I've got a couple of uninterruptible power supply boxes now so that I can work uninterrupted for at least eight hours before the power comes back on again. So that's that was like a new experience. Um, and, yeah, sort of being very cautious of wildfires. That's something, again, I've never had to deal with. And it is quite scary. I, I literally gave myself a fright. Um, I got a barbecue um, just at the end of summer last summer. and. Uh, I freaked out really badly because I could see some of the hot embers um, flying through the air. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to start a wildfire all of you know, on my own. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really dangerous. Um, and like you even have to be careful of like using garden equipment and stuff like that. So like a lawnmower might hit a stone and create a spark, which would create a fire. So, you know, there's, there's sort of lots of monitoring that goes on and there's lots of things that you should and shouldn't do. Um, because of the the potential risk of wildfires so yeah that that's quite I will you know I haven't experienced a wildfire I hope not to obviously um, but I have to have like a go bag ready um, well I don't have to but I've decided to have a go bag and you know there's some clothes in there and some stuff for the cats and then um, bottles of water and a few other bits and bobs so if I did have to get up and run um, in the event of a fire I've got all that stuff ready so that was just like a bit of a weird unusual thing that I've never come across before but I'm kind of I suppose slightly prepared for it if it does happen so 
Yeah, fingers crossed it doesn't though. So. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed this end too, definitely. Um, yeah. Can you see yourself staying in Portugal for a while or, or do you feel like you might be on that little cycle, you know, eight years down the line, you might be upping and going somewhere else? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that's just my natural rhythm is just that that cycle of sort of eight or so, eight or ten years. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, you know, if I if I continue in this job or if I continue in another remote job um, and I can travel and, and go and do, you know, do my work from another country, then I'm, I'm definitely up for exploring more places. I think it, I've just kind of started to realise as well over the last few years that I do need, you know, to see fresh things and to experience new things. And I know my blog is like go new places, do new things. Um, but it it really does ring true with me and like I get bored quite easily of being in the same place and doing the same things and seeing the same things so I always need that kind of I don't know that outlay of like going somewhere new and experiencing something different so so for now Portugal's fine um, like I said I've only been here 18 months um, I'm not bored of it yet I haven't half ex- explored half of what I wanted to do by this point obviously because of the pandemic but I know there's whole areas that I just I'm desperate to get out and explore once everything's back to normal. Um, But who knows? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I could stay here longer term. Might meet the man of my dreams. Probably not. But (laughs) I don't know. Well, fingers fingers crossed for that as well. (laughs) Yeah, don't need a boyfriend. I'm doing quite all right by myself. But um, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm up for change. I don't mind it. It's quite refreshing. And um, I think more people should try it, to be honest. It, it gives you a real good perspective on life and, you know, sort of seeing things differently and experiencing new things, whatever that might be. It's, I think it's just really good for you. So, yeah. Just um, since you've been living there, obviously, Britain has officially left the EU. So has that affected your rights at all for, for you know, being a Brit living in Portugal? Um, no, um, I had to. Yeah. So you have to have a residency certificate um, if you're going to be living permanently in Portugal. So you have to sort of declare yourself at the town hall and get a certificate and a stamp and an official seal or whatever. Um so on that, I registered on that for five years on my British passport. Um, but since I've lived here, because we've obviously got Maltese family, on part of our family, um, I managed to finally get hold of my Maltese passport as well. So when I next register as a resident here in another what, three and a half years time, I can actually register on my Maltese passport. I'm not sure that it's going to make a massive difference for anything, really. The, that's the only the only way that I can think that... Brexit has kind of like affected me but I don't think there's any other implications really I mean now that I've got the Maltese passport I can travel and do whatever go wherever I don't have to worry about um, any restrictions or you know I I can go into the (laughs) into the non-British line in the airport which would be great (laughs) going the European line and still stay there Um, so yeah I don't think it's really affected anything Um, yeah so for anyone considering moving abroad, emigrating, you know, taking their whole life somewhere else, what are the main things you think they should consider before they move? Um, well, I can only really talk to people who don't have any children like myself, because um, obviously kids are put a whole different set of needs in, in your way, if you like. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess cost of living location and access to airports like I, I I'm like smack bang in the middle distance wise between Lisbon and Porto so either either I could go to either airport they're equidistant give or take half an hour or so um yeah and, and I suppose just looking for like I, I sort of chose partly this area because it's sort of in the hills a little bit and I know that I I'm much more of a, a you know sort of like being outdoors than I do being in a city so I guess kind of like gear yourself towards that um have a look and see there's like loads of people who are like blogging about you know having moved to Portugal for example from America and like what to do if you're from this country or that country there's loads of people who who have probably got there before you so go and search out you know other people's experiences um I I didn't do any of that (laughs) (laughs) I was just a bit more like there's a map there's a house that'll do (laughs) let's go um (laughs) uh, 
it sounds like I didn't do any research. I did, but I just I just didn't look at any other people's experiences. But you can do that as well. So, yeah, price pricing of houses, and definitely like if you're coming to a different country as well, like don't just search for like I want to rent a house in Portugal. Look for the Portuguese phrase of I want to rent a house or whatever language or whatever country you're going in. So don't get sucked into the whole like expat only search engines and things like that. I would definitely say you know, it's going to broaden your options if you start looking in the local language and start thinking ahead, like, okay, what's the, yeah, what's the, what's the, that country's language? What's that phrase for renting a house or buying a house or whatever it is that you want to do? And, and it'll open up a lot more doors for you and probably more affordable options as well. When I first came here, I still had social media accounts, which I've now ditched. So I managed to find someone um, on Facebook who recommended a guy uh, that helps you import your car, for example. And I hadn't, I wouldn't have found that had I not been on social media, you know, looking through some of these expat forums and stuff. So there are benefits to it, but if you're looking for accommodation and stuff like that, then, you know, try and try and think uh, about searching in the, in the local language and yeah, definitely, definitely find a lot more. Well, I, I definitely found a lot more options that way. So yeah. I think that's a really valuable tip. I, I certainly wouldn't have even thought of that, you know. I, I would have stuck into Google, you know, house for, for rent in whatever village you're thinking of going to. So but that's brilliant. Really good top tip. Um, And just quickly, in terms of, I know you've said about you've managed to be, you know, become debt free and, and start to save money and things like that. But just give people an idea of the cost of living in Chamonix versus the cost of where you are now. How do things compare in terms of rent, in terms of food, in terms of bills? Sure. So I would say as a really rough and ready guide rule, Portugal is at least uh, half as uh, half as cheap, half as expensive, <laughs> half the price of what I was paying in, in Chamonix. So, for example, the last apartment that I lived at, um, was 700 euros a month. It was in the bottom of a chalet underneath the family. Uh, it was about 35, 40 metres squared. Um, and it was 700 a month uh, in euros. Now in Portugal, I'm paying 350 euros a month for a 100 square metre house. So I've got more than double the space for less than half the money. So that on its own is just crazy. Um, electric bills are probably about the same in terms of, you know, France to Portugal. Um, so over winter, I'm probably spending about 80 or 90 euros a month on electric because I've got the air conditioning that I can use as heating and a few oil heaters and stuff as well. Water is ridiculously cheap here. I pay about, well, sometimes I pay about 11 euros a month for water. Sometimes I pay four or five. It's crazy. I think that was subsidised over over last summer as well with the pandemic. So that was slightly skewed the the numbers, but it's still, you know, really, really affordable. Um, so, yeah, so the cost of food, again, probably, I, yeah, I can, I can go and do a, a trolley's worth of food shopping down here. And I probably would have got like a couple of baskets of food in Chamonix. So probably, again, half as half as expensive uh, food wise and stuff as well um so yeah that that's the, good to know and the wine sorry. is re, the wine is really good and really affordable too i can i can recommend a few regions of uh <laughs> red wine if anyone's interested but it's bloody yeah. good and it's half the price <laughs> fantastic we're all coming now quick pack our bags <laughs> but I guess there are going to be, you know, from from the north to the south of Portugal, there's going to be a, a skew in the different costs of living as you go closer to the kind of more commercial or city centre or touristy yeah. areas. But it sounds like you found a real sweet spot that really works for you. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the prices and stuff that I've quoted are for this specific area of central Portugal, which... You know, I'm three hours drive from Lisbon. If you go to Lisbon or the surrounding area, you know, most people, it's like it's like a kind of London um, and surroundings, right, for prices. Um, it's the capital city. So, it's, you know, expect expensive uh, prices. But and, and something I read or I saw online from somebody as well that was coming over from America. And she was like, yeah, don't expect that even though it's a really hot country in the summer um, and generally a warmer country, don't expect there to be air conditioning. 
So you we would just rock up somewhere and be renting somewhere. Like when I first moved in here, there was no air conditioning. And I was like, holy moly, this is going to be tough in the summer. Um, and I actually talked to the owners and got air conditioning installed. And I paid for it, which was fine. Um, but yeah, there's certain things like don't expect things like that. Um, but also, yeah, around Lisbon, around Porto, the prices go up significantly, obviously, because they're nearer to the airports and the capital city and whatnot. And then down in Faro, Albufeira, you know, sort of along the coast, um, obviously more expensive because people always want to live by the sea. So for me, I'm, I'm quite happy. I can get to the coast in, what, about two hours, hour and a half, two hours. Um, but for me, it's more about being in the hills and the mountains. So for me, this is an actually absolutely ideal location, but it wouldn't necessarily suit everybody. So, so yeah, kind of look for look for what you are interested in doing in a place that kind of suits your specific needs. But for me, Central Portugal, price-wise and you know, location-wise, for the stuff that I do as hobbies, is is absolutely ideal. So, yeah, fantastic. And can you give us one word to describe your life in Portugal awesome Ah, (laughs) what a great note to finish on again (laughs) thanks so much for sharing your you know life experience of packing up packing up from France and moving to a completely different country one you've never visited before one where you can't speak the language one where you don't know anybody one where the cat comes with you you know (laughs) I'd love to see what happens in another kind of seven-ish years time and and see where you're from yeah which country am I going to go to next yeah I mean if anyone's thinking about doing it I mean I might I might sound a bit nuts or a brave I don't know I might sound quite ballsy or naive I don't know, like sometimes you've just got to do it. If you if you just want to live life a little bit differently, experience new things, just get up and do it. Um, in my experience, you know, so far I haven't looked back, so definitely recommend it. Change is good. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ellie. No worries. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that Ellie's story has inspired you as much as the first episode. We can't wait to go back and visit her when we get the chance to travel again. I really enjoyed this episode, um, probably as much as the one where she moved to France. One thing that stuck in my mind was about looking for rental properties in new countries or even properties for sale and using the language of the country that you move into to search for properties was a big, big bonus top tip. I enjoyed the financial freedom aspect that she's managed to establish for herself. When she arrived in Portugal, she was in debt. And within 18 months, she's obviously managed to get some money in the bank. So that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, big achievement. We wanted to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you to the listener that bought us a virtual coffee. There's a link in our show notes um, where you can buy us a coffee if you've really enjoyed the content. So a huge thank you to the person that did that. We don't know who you are, but we really, really appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be grateful if you could share it with your friends and family so that we can reach more people with these amazing stories. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow our own adventures by connecting with our website and social media channels. The links are in the show notes. That's it for now. Look forward to connecting with you at the next show. Take care and stay safe.